Welcome to Cerebronas. I'm Cynthia, and this is a chiquita sode on the film Rocio. We're usually two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw, critical analysis of the law, current events, and personal politics. Why? Because we want to break down barriers set up by elite institutions and democratize knowledge. For this Chiquita episode, I interviewed Dario Guerrero, the director of the film and slash documentary, Rocio. We explain what the film covers and its contents and the background behind it in the interview, so I won't delay much, but I will just say that sadly Yvette couldn't join me for this interview, but I promise we'll be back for an episode, a full-length episode together soon. So without any more delay, here's the interview with Dario. Enjoy. Dario Guerrero, who made this amazing documentary, Rocio, about his mother, and he's a former he's a former Harvard student, graduated already, but in his third year, had to take a leave of absence when he found out that his mother had cancer, and he actually, um, being an undocumented student at Harvard, had to take had to self deport essentially, and so Rocio goes into. The film Rocio goes into the whole experience and everything that you went through. So, Dario, thank you so much for meeting me here in Rosine, California to talk with us today. Oh, thank you, Cynthia, for having me. Of course, of course. We're literally sitting in my kitchen where that I use, that I grew up in, that I no longer live in, and I haven't been in here, actually, since, like, a year ago. So it's so nice to be back here. I'm glad we could, like, meet in person. And you just literally met all my family, too, which was awkward. Oh, yeah. No, they just took my social driver's license. Yeah, literally asked him for a copy of his driver's license. Uh, my family can be a little intense. Okay, so let's get into it. So can you just tell us, for folks who haven't heard about the film or have heard about it but don't know too much about it, like, you know, what is it about and, like, why you created it? So... I started shooting this when my mom got sick because I was studying film at Harvard at the time. I was starting my third year and one day, like in, at the beginning of the semester, my dad calls and he says, oh, you know what? We just got out of the doctor. Uh, they found a tumor. A couple weeks later, they found out it was cancerous. And so eventually I decided, you know, take a, I need to take a year off. I need to come home, take mm-hmm. care of her. And where was home? Was it LA? L- uh-huh. LA, right? Yeah. So I came back to LA. Uh, and I took a, brought a camera with me from the school. And since, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm taking a year off. I, I'll probably shoot a movie or something. Mm-hmm. But literally, I was with my mom, like, 24-7. There's, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of someone. If you, Do you have any experience, like, with someone close being sick? Um, when I was little, my great-grandmother, we, but she was in Mexico, so it would just be, like, mm-hmm. during um, breaks when I, my mom would take me, and so mm-hmm. we, would, we would take care of her. And, but... It was never, like, a full-time thing. So I have yeah. a little bit of experience. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you might... You'll see, like, how consuming it is to, like, look after someone who, who can't look after themselves. So eventually I decided, you know what? This is a story right here. Maybe mm-hmm. it's film-worthy. And I just started filming, like, little things around the house. And it became obsessive. Mm-hmm. And, like, my mom, eventually, she, like, became... How would I say it? Like, started directing the project. Oh. One day after the doctor, the doctor's office, like just a random appointment, she's like, "You know what? Make this movie, para que no le pase a alguien más, mm. so it doesn't happen to someone else." And at the time, she meant like 
first of all, her doctors diagnosed the cancer late. Like, after she said, hey, test me out. Like, I don't feel well. Diagnosed it late. Then they were, like, just rude, short, wouldn't answer questions. Yeah. She doesn't understand English. They wouldn't even look at her. Yeah. And so we said, okay, you know, there's lots of other people with the same or worse situation. Yeah. Like, maybe this can help somehow. Yeah. No, there's so many studies about that. It's actually, uh, I, before I was in Peru, I went with my mom to the doctors because she, like, has had, like, multiple accidents that she's needed to go to the doctors for. And they just, like, they're so hard to work with. And I posted about it on Mm -hmm. Cerebronas. Mm -hmm. And so many people responded being, like, fight for your mom. Same thing always happens with my family. And someone was just, like, when I go to the doctors, I literally take studies with me on how, like, shitty of a job doctors do with yeah. like our like our communities mm-hmm. and so like your mom is like just spot on like that it happens to so many people and it and it shouldn't be seriously how's your mom now uh, she's fine yeah. <laughs> she's right. yeah she's she's strong she's it's just it's just a problem that won't go away oh man it's, yeah. it's, she's fine yeah. well that's good but um let's see so so your mom started more like directing it and, uh. and so what once you were looking back at like all the footage that you took mm-hmm. you know what like, what did you want the film to be about? Like, what is... Yeah. Yeah, that was the the, mo- the hardest question to answer because when I first... Right at the end of the shooting experience and, and watching my mom's passing, when I came back to the United States, I had 200 hours of footage and I really didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I started to look through it and I realized, okay, well, partly, partly it can help my family see what her final days were like. Mm-hmm. When I got to school and I started editing it for strangers to show them, mm-hmm. I was initially approaching it as a chronological piece. Like, I'm just going to tell a story exactly like you would read it in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Like, this happens, then this happens. And mm-hmm. That's it. But then my professors and my friends would tell me, like, you know, you're not trying to communicate with the intellect. Like, you're trying to inspire some sensation in people mm-hmm. and connect with them on an emotional level. So you have to throw out everything you think about about communication pretty much yeah. like this was a sort of a, a new a new way for me of, of talking to people and I just tried to approach the film as a I'm gonna show the most loving interesting quirky moments and heartbreaking things that I shot mm-hmm. and maybe you'll get the narrative maybe you won't but you won't see this anywhere else there's so much to unpack in what you just said, but just just keeping in mind, folks who haven't seen the film or haven't read about it as much as I have, because I like I get what you're saying, because I was looking you up a ton. Um, so what what was the narrative? So what was your experience like? So you got that phone call, mm-hmm. you had to take a leave of absence, you came back to LA, and then what happened? I uh, my mom's doctors tell her, you know what? There's like a couple weeks left, and they told me they didn't tell her, because mm-hmm. only because I asked. So. So you had to ask for that information. Yeah, I was like, she was in hospice care. Uh No, no, sorry. She was in whatever, that place they send you when there's nothing more they can do. And I asked the doctor, hey, uh, can you give me like a time or do you think she's going to get better? What's going on? And Mm -hmm. he said, you know what? A couple of weeks. And right then I said, okay, no. Do you guys curse on your show? Yeah, I curse a ton on my show. I I curse a ton in life. (laughs) Well, you know, obviously we're going to say... Like, fuck that. Yeah. There has to be another way. So I started, I just Googled alternative cancer treatments. And I found, like, a whole new world. Mm-hmm. I mean, whose veracity, of course, is sometimes doubtful. 
but there's those miracle stories that are very well supported and I'm like okay maybe we can be one of those stories mm -hmm. so we started doing juicing a raw organic vegan diet mm -hmm. supplements anything you name it and she started to get better really at first when she was in the, at awesome. the hospital the cancer had invaded her spine so she couldn't walk mm -hmm. right she was bedridden but then after like two months of of us doing our own thing at home no chemotherapy you know none of their medications mm -hmm. she regained sensation and she got stronger and she was moving around herself with a walker so right then we're like, yeah. okay, we need to pursue this even more. Like, take it to its furthest extent, yeah. exactly. And those clinics are in Mexico. So, How come they're in Mexico? Do you know, like, not in the states? Well, they're not allowed here because they're risky. You know, some of the treatments are definitely dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of it is that there may be like mm, some sort of agenda from the medical establishment to mm -hmm. make money off our diseases. Of course, of right? course. So, no les conviene for people to get better. Exactly, right? There's and no get better get better with your food, get yeah. better just on your own. Exactly. No, we can't no have les conviene, that. of course not. It's yeah. not good. Capitalism can't have that. Exactly. So, so yeah, so we're like, okay, maybe our only shot is in Mexico. I applied for like Advanced Pro. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, and uh, I, I am, but maybe folks who are listening are not. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> so Advanced Parole is when you you ask for permission to re-enter the United States in advance before leaving. And so this is an option that was was and kind of still is available, but it's more risky now to students who have DACA. And it's part of the program where you can ask for permission to go abroad and come back. So for example, if you're in school and you get to, you want to study abroad, you can ask for advanced parole. Um, or if there's, you know, I know people have done it when they're, someone back home is really sick, they'll ask for advanced parole and maybe be granted on that ground. So, it's definitely something risky to do now, but it's it's all it's an option that became available to students who had DACA. Yeah, exactly. So as a DACA recipient a couple of years ago, I applied for that, mm -hmm. and I submitted some expedite requests. As my mom was getting worse, like, hey, you know, we really yeah. need to go, but I didn't get any response. So at the end of it, we're like, let's just do it. How was it? What were you think like? What were you weighing when you were making that decision? Because you knew that like. If if you self deported, mm -hmm. right? Like, it might it might you might not be able to come back. Like mm -hmm. that's always one hundred percent the risk. Mm -hmm. So like, what were you weighing? Like, what was your thought process? Because I can't imagine. Like, my parents have had like talk, talk to me about having to make that decision mm -hmm. and how hard it can be. And like, if you've never made that decision, you just can't understand what it's like to mm -hmm. have like you know to make it. So, but like, what what was it like for you? So, the most important thing was. To take care of my mom and to help her anyway like if I had to sacrifice everything I have that's fine mm -hmm. but the other side is thankfully I had the privilege of attending Harvard so I knew okay there there probably is, is gonna be a way for me to get back no matter what so let's just not worry about that and just focus on, on what's urgent yeah and so that's why my mom and I just packed up and left so it's just because you have younger siblings right so it was mm -hmm. just you and your mom that left yeah my brother is he was like 16 at the time. He's a U.S. citizen, but you know, definitely didn't didn't know how to Process. what what she yeah and what she needs like on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so not sure I knew much better, but <laughs> so tried. so you go back to Mexico and mm -hmm. then you go to one of these clinics. Mm -hmm. It was in Playas de Rosarito, if you were in Baja. Yeah. Oh, Rosarito is beautiful. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's gorgeous there. We arrived and we thought it was like paradise. 
So what was it like working with those doctors? Did you mm -hmm. feel like there was any difference or? So initially, yeah, because from their website, even before we went to the, to the clinic, there's all these resources and they explain to you like why we're doing what we're doing, how it helps you. You can do it at home or you can do it with us. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, you know, they seem transparent. This is going to be good for us. But when we got there and it, we, it, you know, it's pricey. It's like $5,000 a week wow. for treatment. Wow. Once we got there and we, we paid that and we're like, okay, we're going to get the best treatment, right? Yeah, $5,000 a week. But that wasn't the case. Really? Yeah. Th eventually it started sinking into much of the same thing we, we experienced here. Like they were just trying to get our money. Uh, like they didn't have a vacuum cleaner. What? Like the room was infested with bugs. No! $5,000 <laughs> $5, a week and you can't even get clean sheet? Like exactly. clean... What? Yeah, yeah. Literally, Mexicans are so clean. They, like, don't... We, like, how uh, can they... Uh, I mean, it was run by a white guy. I, uh... Right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and all the, all the other patients there were from, like, New Zealand, Australia, a couple from China. They're all, they all seem, like, educated and wealthy. So I'm like, okay, if we all did our research, mm -hmm. then we might be onto something. And I do think some, uh, some patients were definitely helped by the treatments, but not my mom. So what happened? So eventually she just started hating it. Like she wouldn't eat the food. It was a bad environment, period. So instead of being three weeks, being there for three weeks, like we were intending, uh, we stayed for two and then left to her family's home in Guanajuato. Oh. So that's, yeah, she has her family there and they were all really nice, really, well, really supportive, right? And they said, you know, we know you can't get back. You can stay with us and you know, oh. all of our support. And so we, basically waited out her final days in her brother's house. I'm, I'm glad you were able to be with family during yeah. that, because I can't even imagine. Not everyone's as fortunate. Yeah, going yeah. through something like that. Um, wow, okay, so that gives a lot of background, so folks now know like what we're talking about when we're talking about it. And so I wanted to kind of talk about something you put on your Q&A. Also, I love your glasses. I keep looking oh, at them. I'm like, your glasses are so cool. We're going to have to take a picture. Thank you. Um, so on the film's website, placeofilm.com, you, you have a Q&A, and you wrote that you no longer look at the experience as one that, like, broke your family, but as a more of a rebirth. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more, like, what you mean by that? Like, you know, now with, like... Yeah, now having watched the film and produced it and having mm -hmm. pro like have processed the experience a little bit more, like what did, why does it feel like a rebirth? Basically because I realized that we can make something positive out of it. Mm -hmm. And although, of course, nothing can ever replace my mom, you know, maybe we can, I guess, give it a reason for something so illogical and so unjust to have occurred. Mm -hmm. Maybe prevent someone else from going... For making the same mistakes we did, basically. Like what? For one, you know, do not wait. If you feel something's wrong with you and your doctors don't want to give you the proper treatment, don't wait. Seek a second opinion. You have to get on them because <clears throat> time and time again, we've seen that they don't have our, our health really is not their top priority mm -hmm. for the medical establishment. So you have to like just be super proactive and also consider the possibility that Conventional treatments are not the only ones, mm -hmm. not the only effective ones. Mm -hmm. And just, but then the, again, you have to be cognizant that people will lie to you. People will try to use you Yeah. no matter what side you're on. So 
Yeah. So it's not <laughs> any, yeah. Not but, easy, sorry. And it's just, so they hear what you're saying in the sense that it's like, you want people to have the experience in terms of like, you have, like, it's, this is just more proof of how much we need to be an advocate for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And like you're saying, go to the doctor, see more, like demand mm-hmm. the treatment. Mm-hmm. And also, like, it's just, it just highlights the importance and like the good work that some NGOs and like other organizations are doing to educate folks on like mm-hmm. on health, right? Mm-hmm. And like how to be healthy without like getting into this like unhealthy diet culture and all the other stuff that right. you're talking about uh-huh. um, and like the money making. But you're right in the terms of just like, you know, I was just in Peru and it reminds me so much of a lot of the things I learned in Peru where, for example, like I was in Cusco and mm-hmm. I was getting super sick because of the altitude. Not oh, super right. sick, but I was just like nauseous, didn't want to eat, uh-huh. like had a headache. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, just like for for a bit. And so people were just like, just literally chew the coca leaves. And so I was just like, all right, like, fuck it. Like, I'm gonna chew some coca leaves. And I felt better, like, instantly. You know, like, what? yeah. And, and like, the more I learned Did you bring about... Any? No, I couldn't. I couldn't, too. They would have stopped me. They would not have let me back in. The CIA would have jumped on that opportunity to keep me out of this country. Um, so, but, like, there were so many different, like, herbs and stuff and like I went to the Amazon and met a lot of um, people who like have grown up in the region mm-hmm. and they were just talking about like we'd mention something and they'd be like oh what's this herb for and they'd be like oh this herb is really good like when you have this or this or this and you can use it for this different ways and you can like use it as skin but if you eat it or if you cook it like it, it, then it helps you with this mm-hmm. and I'm just like there's so much knowledge here that has been just like taken away from us and that has been suppressed by things like the medical establishment you know absolutely and so it's just a reminder it's like we need to like seek that knowledge again and reclaim it you know because there there are ways to care for our community that others aren't going to tell us oh yeah just like abuelitas remedies yeah curanderas that we all grew up with like we all have some of that knowledge and some of it's being lost but thankfully there are people preserving it yeah but what i was saying was um i guess another thing that we want to show so people don't go through it is the feeling of loss mm-hmm. or the, the process of losing someone because like you said not everyone can has the luxury of being with their loved one as they're dying because it might be in another country or for whatever reason but we don't get a second chance for things like this mm-hmm. so sometimes you know I think it's worth I do think it's worth the gamble it was worth the gamble in my case and mm-hmm. I, I just want people to understand that we only have one chance to be with the people on this planet the people you love and when they need your help you just gotta do it sometimes. That's so. I I don't want to sound corny, but that's so beautiful. You know, like, yeah, you're you're just right. You're just one hundred percent right. And I think, you're. It is hard because people have to weigh the different things in their lives. Mm-hmm. But, you're right. You know, we we need to prioritize the people that we love. Okay, so just kind of switching gears, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about you and going to Harvard and what your experience at Harvard was, because I. I hear you talking about Harvard and you're like, oh, the privilege, you know, I like, yeah. because I went to Harvard, I knew I was going to help have like mm-hmm. more, like more of an ability to come back, right? Than mm-hmm. maybe anyone else, others who don't go to Harvard. And I often feel that way being at Stanford Law, where I'm just like, oh, I have all this privilege that I like didn't have before, right? Like I have access to like the top legal minds and, you know, people who have brought these cases to the Supreme Court and mm-hmm. it's just, it's wild. And I, and I think about that a lot. So I... You being at Harvard, I feel like I there's like there's a shared experience between you and I 
in terms of that. So I wanted to hear a little bit more because I was reading an article, and I'll post it on the website for folks to look at if they want to, is like you were talking about uh, a time when a classmate of yours mm -hmm. offered to fly a group of your friends on a private jet to a rave in the Netherlands, like in your first year. And Yvette and I often speak about how much of a culture shock it is to like be around such privileged like people and like an institution that's so privileged. Like people who just have jet jets, like that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So I want to know a little bit more of like what was your experience at Harvard like? And I imagine it was complex and a mm -hmm. lot of many, many things. But like how did you feel while you were there? Dude, I've been thinking about this question since you asked in the email. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, I Let's talk through it. Let's yeah. talk through it. Yeah, I went to this alumni event a couple days ago, mm -hmm. and um, I realized most of the recent grads, I, I couldn't talk to them because they would just be talking about themselves. Oh. <laughs> and the older ones, they're more open, of course, more mature, right, the old people. And I'm like, okay, is there like a, some phenomenon there? Uh-huh. I remember being at school, I'm sure you've had this, like, you're crossing paths with someone you know. And like you're gonna say hi, and they're like avert their eyes. I know. Like, I'm just like, how do you not say hi? Like, how are you not kissing me on the cheek right now? Hello. Yes, it, something about these institutions just like breeds an isolation mm. in us, and it might be because because they're insular when you're there, right? You feel like some maybe you don't have to worry about a lot of the world's issues unless you really seek them out and try to advocate for them. And then once you're there, you're you're. Yeah, you feel like safe and protected. As an undocumented student, I of course felt safe there. Like, okay, I'm not undocumented anymore. I'm just mm. a student. So that was good because it finally freed me up to do other things and just then, then worry about my status or try to do some advocacy stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, nonetheless, our identities as minorities, as any person who's been oppressed, they're with us forever. Yeah. And, they're, and they're going to keep affecting your life. Like, as much as I didn't want to think about it, eventually yeah. my mom gets sick and I have to deport myself, yeah. right? So these things, I guess being there is, what would be the takeaway? Well, I just <laughs> want to jump in here because I, so you have different quotes on Rocio film, uh -huh. like things folks have said of the, about the film, right? Uh -huh. And one of them, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like somewhere on there where someone says like, um, the film like, or like you, like I think they're talking about you, like you weave together beautifully the personal and the political and show like how those two can like be inseparable. I can't, I don't remember yeah. exactly. But when I saw that, I was like, that's such a white person thing to say. It's like, of course. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, of course the personal, like the political is personal, you know, like when you. I didn't think of that at all. Yes, like it's, it's like being undocumented, like I, I wasn't, I was born here. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like my older sister was born here, but like, so many people in my family are undocumented, have been undocumented, and it's like you, that, that's part of your daily life, like being mm -hmm. able to drive, you know, like I remember having Christmas, it was always just like, well, whose house are we going to do it at? It's like, well, let's do it at the, at the house of this person so they don't have to drive, and they don't, if they oh, get pulled oh. over on Christmas, like coming home, yeah. like, you know, we don't want them driving, so we'll just do it at their house so they don't have to drive. And, like, things like that, it's like, of course the political is personal. Like, this thing isn't just, like, something we major in for funsies and, like, yeah. talk over the kitchen table to debate and, like, have an intellectual stimulating conversation. Like, these are our lives. These are, like, things that affect us daily. 
So I no, so you're what you're saying totally is, right because there's no weaving like yeah this is just us it's in our blood yeah it's in your lived experiences okay so there was that aspect of Harvard uh-huh. what like what else like what else what else have you been thinking about since I asked the question oh getting there right and realizing hey I'm not the smartest person in the room hmm. did you feel like the smartest person in the room when you were growing up here in LA a lot of the time. You know, it may have been my own delusions, right? <laughs> but there, they were just thrown in my face, and I realized, wow, what are you going to say? Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're reading me so well. Um, no, I was just going to say, what you're describing, though, in terms of, like, what other people would call an ego, mm-hmm. I often think, I have that myself, mm-hmm. but I often think about, like, to be at somewhere like Stanford Law, and what I imagine to be somewhere like Harvard, or for me, my undergrad at Grinnell College, which was seen as like a very prestigious academic institution, mm-hmm. I was like, I need this ego to survive. I need this. I need to think I'm as smart or smarter than everybody else in this room. Otherwise, everything about this institution, everything about this environment, makes me want to leave. Um, so I, yeah. So I personally like. I don't think you were delusional, and I think it's, like, healthy and important mm-hmm. for students who have very few others like them in the, in the classroom or spaces like this to think they're the smartest person in the room, because honestly, you probably were, anyway. <laughs> Maybe you didn't feel that way. Like, your friend who had a private jet, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I don't think they're that smart. I don't know anything about them, but I already think that. No, no, I, like, as I'm sure you've experienced on your journey, like, through undergrad and now law school, it doesn't matter so much the found, I mean it matters the foundation you, you come in with right, mm-hmm. but what's just as important if not more is like your rate of growth and how fast you can you can learn and adapt, because I think you know there's nothing separating, you me and the friend with the private jet whose dad is like CEO of Citibank, mm-hmm. it's just circumstance, but once we're in once we were there at that environment, and once I really got into gear studying like my third year, mm-hmm. yeah, first two of the, <laughs> once, I re- once I finally, I guess, had more of an idea of what I'm doing there, it's like, the world is open to you, and you can really do anything you want, mm-hmm. achieve it, learn it, I really, I just, uh, I guess that's the most important thing Harvard taught me, is that, how attainable everything is, with the right preparation and dedication. Yes, but I have to push back a little bit, in that I feel like, Harvard and places like Harvard give you opportunities like that. You know, like I just, because I, I, I never want to feed into this idea that like the U.S. is a merit system, mm-hmm. meritocracy. Because mm-hmm. I very much feel like it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think hard work can get you a lot of things, but I think there are a lot of obstacles that are intentionally meant to keep people from achieving things. So I agree with you to some uh, extent, but no, like I, I feel that. But I, yeah. I, like, being at Stanford Law, I realized, like, I don't have to worry about my grades, you know, and that's a privilege, and I can still, like, attain, like... Oh, you like, used to have a pass-fail or something? Yeah, basically. And so, it's, it's, I can achieve more, even with bad grades, mm-hmm. than other people. So, it's just, like, things, like, where, I'd, like, mm-hmm. I'm constantly trying to remember how much privilege, like, these institutions have given me, and I feel like, um, yeah, not because of what you said, but just, like, I'm always worried about no, being no, no, into that's the meritocracy, very, very valid. you know? I mean, the thing I've learned from the two years since I graduated, basically I've been at home helping my dad with construction, his construction business. I was waiting for DACA for like a year. Mm-hmm. 
And I realized in this time I've been off, like, yeah, life can get really hard, especially if you don't have, like, any, if you don't speak English, if you don't have family, you you didn't grow up here. And that, another thing I realized in this year is, like you were saying, there's all these obstacles. You actually had to give up a fellowship, right, while Mm. you were waiting for DACA, because you were in D.C. Yeah. And you had a fellowship opportunity. So I had a... I landed a fellowship right before graduating, and I thought, okay, man, I'm set for the next year. Mm-hmm. And so I show up in D.C. thinking all my documents are in order per my lawyer's advice. And they start asking for, like, another proof of um, that I'm able to work in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have it. And finally, they're like, okay, I know we've given you a two-week orientation. You have all your stuff in the apartment and this, that. Uh. But, yeah, you got to go home. Wow. So... So I went home, and right there I was, like, crushed and totally felt like nothing because now, like, I can't work. I really didn't know anyone in L.A., like, from my school or anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm just going to toil in obscurity. Like, for my dad, as I'm sure you've had this experience, success means making money and Mm -hmm. living comfortably. That's that's really all he wanted, and while I was in this in these two years that I've been working on this movie, I've just been at home editing most of the time. And to my dad, that he sees it as like a risk and a waste of time, because mm-hmm. like, you, what are you gonna get from this? What's what are, what's gonna happen with this? And my ego says, okay, uh, you know, I will be recognized for making a great film. Mm-hmm. But that might not even happen because our voices are really not represented in the industry. And there are so many apparatuses. Is that a word? It sounds like a word. Yeah. You're a Harvard graduate. That's a word. I made it. Yeah, we made it over today. There's so many structures in place to prevent us from reaching those goals. There were so many times when I thought, okay, this is fucking useless. I should just give up. Mm -hmm. Or... Friends, family, everyone would tell me, hey, you know what, maybe it's been a while. Get like, a job. Yeah. Get a real job. Yes, yes. And, but we can't because there's, it's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just my comfort and me having an apartment, like, you know, somewhere nice and whatever, having vacations every so often, having the money to do that. Now that my mom died, I realized there's, there is a soul and it's eternal. And everything we do is going to have an impact on, on what happens afterwards. So the greatest thing I could do right now is use this film, like I said, to, to maybe inspire change or compassion. One of the big things I learned at Harvard when I was editing and showing it to, to my classmates, none of them came from my background, mm-hmm. but all, like, all of them at the end of the screenings or whatever would say, hey, you're showing me a world I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much about the world and the things that, like, lives that other people have that are much more difficult than ours. And that's when I realized, like, hey, you know what? They're going to like this because they realize life is not, it's not a, what, it's easy? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Having to watch a film to realize life is easy, like, (laughs) these people. Uh, You just saying this made me realize I hadn't said this, but I, like, want to on behalf of everybody in the world. Uh, 
what you like everything you showed in your film like especially the way you described it in terms of like what moments you chose to show to an audience like thank you for being so vulnerable you know because like so few of us are are willing to be so vulnerable and mm -hmm. show such intimate moments in our lives and just thank you for doing that i just i just don't think a lot of us are comfortable doing that and so i just wanted to take a moment yeah. to say thank you for that <clears throat> thank you actually it, it's good to see that i'm sort of on the right track <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i cut you off earlier though and i wanted to go back to what you were talking about when you graduated high school you felt like you were the smartest person and then you got to harvard mm -hmm. and you didn't feel that way anymore uh-huh oh yeah yeah and then you said the e that's our ego. ego. Uh -huh. uh, no, what people consider our ego is what I consider just a survival mechanism. Ah, uh, yes. So of course, I guess what that meant was I, I kept striving to, tr to, to get better so I wouldn't feel like the most ill-equipped person in the room anymore. Did, did you have that experience? Like, I, bad or bad? No, I have a very healthy ego. So every time, like, self-doubt. Like, oh, like, I got it. Well, I just... I was so used to telling people telling me that something was impossible or something was going to be really, really difficult and being used to like, okay, so this is going to be something that's very impossible and very, very difficult, so let me prepare as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And then realizing like, well, when I like, like with using the resources that I had available mm -hmm. and preparing, like I was able to achieve what people had told me I wouldn't be able to achieve and mm -hmm. they were basing those statements just on like my gender and my like ethnicity. And so I stopped listening to others in terms of, like, what they thought was hard or not. And so I stopped thinking uh, things were hard. I just stopped with that mentality. I was just like, like, the LSATs. And people were like, oh, it's going to be so hard. And I'm just like, it's a test. It's a test that if I just, like, it's make trainable. it. Yeah, like, I can, I can prepare for it. I can, I can practice for it. You know, law school classes, like, okay, it's, like, going to be difficult. But, like, I visited a classroom, and I was just like, they're speaking English. And mm -hmm. guess what? I speak English. And mm -hmm. these are just words that they're coming out of their mouth. And if I look them up in the dictionary, if I don't know what they are, and there's no reason I can't understand that. Like, this isn't, like, you don't have to be born a certain way to be able to access these things. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I kept reminding myself of that while I was at Grinnell and at Stanford, where I was just like, this, everybody, Many, many people have done this before me, and I'm smarter than most of them. I'm going to be fine. Yes, so. that mentality. That's what I, we need more of. Like, in our students, I, was, I saw this um, Telemundo interview the other day. Mm -hmm. This kid in Texas, this family of Mexicans in Texas, is being, like, harassed by their, their sheriff, their school. Mm -hmm. The little kid at school said that the school police officer told him to kill himself. <laughs> oh my god, this world. I mean, when you're faced with like such a, just, what is it? That hatred. Just hatred. When you're faced with that, of course it's going to bring you down and lower your size yeah. and you think, well, I can't do anything. But your work, this film, what I want them, what I want, what I want these things to achieve is, is that inspiration and just that proof that, that we can. Although, as you said, there's so many, so many obstacles. So many obstacles. We don't even understand. Like, yeah. Can't fathom how difficult it could be. But I do think that we, an even more powerful force is God. I'm just going to say it. God. And she is with us at all times. And I don't think that there's such thing as an insurmountable obstacle. That's the end of it. <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you. 
I like that you use she. I have an odd relationship with religion or anything like that because I was like forced to be a Catholic when I was little. Um, Same. <laughs> and have very much rejected everything. But uh, so I appreciate that you used she. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just I mean I feel like we could talk for another thirty minutes on so many so many things, but I do want to respect your time and also want to know you know you just. You told me you're moving right now, and you've been in L.A. for two years uh-huh. since you graduated. And I read that somewhere along the line you wanted to be an engineer, and but then you started doing, like, the audiovisual and film. So, you know, what, do you, what are your goals right now, and, like, what do you hope for? I want to make more movies, honestly. Okay. Yeah, I have the opportunity to make more. But I still feel like I'm coming out of this experience. Mm-hmm. And I need to just keep putting my efforts into into Rocio because I guess hey yesterday I realized this okay okay the most important thing mm-hmm. is for my dad to get papers so he can support my little sister without any threats mm. in the United States and so I'm thinking if I can have a guiding principle like that then everything else in my life will sort of be structured around achieving that, mm-hmm. right? I'd like to get papers too, mm-hmm. right? And I'd like to expand it. Of course, it's going to be expanded to, okay, that means every immigrant can get papers. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it can be achieved, right? But I know, I feel that this is the right path. It's showing people our stories and becoming vulnerable because they just see us right now as somewhat criminals, they're rapists, they're drug dealers, whatever. But they don't know what we really are. And when you look at it, when you see the movie, you're going to realize that we're just, we're exactly the same. Because every single one of us is going to die one day. Mm-hmm. And our loved ones are going to have to go through that. I feel what we're going to, what we feel is they're the same emotions. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all in this together. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about like our shared humanity, you know, yes. and, and kind of remembering that. I feel like Yvette and I are both like, prison abolitionists and we believe in open borders and all of this and so I think it although like Yvette does like immigration work you know so she works like on removal defense mm-hmm. and so we I often think about I won't say we I won't speak for Yvette but I feel like we but I often speak like we often think about I often think about <laughs> what like my like in my head what my goals are for the world and so just hearing you like articulate like the most important thing right now is like for my dad and yourself, and then, like, hopefully other immigrants to have papers. So, like, being in this environment, I guess I just, like, want to check in, like, how are you feeling? Like, you know, uh-huh. this is, it's, I, I have a hard time existing in this world, and mm-hmm. I have the security of knowing my mom and my dad, mm-hmm. and most, like, not, most of my family, not all of my family has managed to have papers, mm-hmm. um, and so we have that, like, sec- additional security and whatnot. But, so I just want to check in, like, how are you feeling? Because, like, this climate we're in is hard, and it's difficult, and I, I hope that being in L.A. has been, like, although L.A. is by no means perfect, and there's fucked up shit that happens here mm-hmm. all the time, but, like I, like, I feel like this community in L.A. is very strong, mm-hmm. but just, how are you doing? I feel perfectly safe, honestly, but that may just be an illusion, because it, you know, surreal things are happening. Today, I was looking through Instagram, 
and I realized that a lot of the detention centers are just repurposed Walmarts. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, like years ago, they were being shut down, and people were asking why, and Walmart's official statement was uh, plumbing issues or nothing government-related. But now that's where they're keeping the kids. Like I had seen something like that about warehouses. Mm-hmm. So, like, how much further can it go? Mm-hmm. You know? But at the same time, I think, okay, you know, my mom died, like, right in front of me. I'm... I can't sacrifice enough. I, I shouldn't even... I can't be afraid for myself. Because I feel like the most minuscule thing in this whole battle. Like, it's... You know this as, as a lawyer, right? And as I said a little while ago, like, we're in this together. And this is a multifaceted approach. And it, it has to be a multi-pronged attack from our people for our rights, for our respect. Yeah. But what little I can do is audiovisual stuff, right? <laughs> Hopefully I can do more. But this is where I'm starting. Well, I just want to say that it's nothing little by any means. I am a movie aficionado. And often use movies and music and other things to help me in my everyday life so it's no little thing putting <laughs> creating you. something i mean we i as a non-creative person am no no i'm not no i'm really not no. creative. uh like my i have a very uh, whatever um, podcast creator says she's no, not creative okay um no i just when i see other people who create art and stuff uh I'm always very grateful that there are people creating art for us to consume and, and like on Instagram it's just like I'm constantly just grateful to all these people who create such amazing content, you know? So it's so wild, like yeah. so many things that we wouldn't think of. Yeah, and it just really helps create community and so like you um, like being who you are and creating film and like just something for our community to consume in which we get to see ourselves and, and stories like that our loved ones have gone through. It's just like it's important. It's a big deal. So I don't want you to minimize what big of a deal it is. Thank you. It's Cynthia. important. Uh, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, yeah. So November second in Ontario, we will be screening Rocio again. It's a Dia de los Muertos theme. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have an altar. Are you gonna be around? No, I'm gonna be in Tennessee, sadly. Uh -huh. But I Ontario is like super close to where my parents' house is. So. Oh yeah. Love yeah. to have gone. And there's one also, end of October at Berkeley. At Berkeley. Yeah, so maybe. Oh, nice. Yeah, if Stanford folks are out there or Berkeley students, we'll have to push it out. Um, lucky yeah. Bay Area folks. Yeah, so we'll be posting about that, but yeah. hopefully we can meet our listeners. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for driving out to Rosemead to meet me here and mm -hmm. talk in person. Um, okay. Bye, everyone.